Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. I want to encourage you to open them to Revelation 8. Revelation 8. As you're finding your place there in God's Word, I want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online. Uh, the venue service meeting right down the hall in Reach Church DeSoto. We're so grateful you're joining us this morning via live stream. As you're finding your place there, um, also a couple things I just want to uh, encourage you with today. Um, here at the end of the year, we um, oftentimes have opportunity uh, to give and to bless other local congregations. You got to hear from a pastor down in Springfield area uh, there, uh, but also a couple of churches that we've partnered with here lately and been able to bless them in a special way. One is a church in St. Charles, uh, Missouri, outside of St. Louis. We partnered with them on some impact events and been able to encourage them. They're a church plant that's about three years old now, and they're going out on their own. They've received some funding from the North American Mission Board to kind of get them going, but this year is the first official year that they're on their own, and they're, they're a little bit nervous and a little bit scared. That pastor's a little nervous, but he's a great man of God and man of faith, and so we wanted to encourage them, so uh, we've sent them a check for $75,000 to help make sure they stay on their feet this next year. Um, so we, we got to encourage them. There's a church down in Lynn Valley that we've been working with for a while and, and just encouraging them. In fact, one of our own, Carl Ryder, has been down there as the interim pastor. And they've gotten to see people come to faith in Christ and, and, and people be baptized. And we encourage them. They need to hire a full-time pastor. And that, that seemed a little big for them. They're, they're, you know, they, they were stepping out in faith. Can we pay this guy if we hire somebody full-time? But they did it. They stepped out in faith, and they got a great man of God. Well, we wanted to encourage them, too. So we sent a check for $75,000 to make sure they don't have to worry about that man's salary for a year. And I'm trusting God, and we're trusting God that they're going to do great things down there in Lynn Valley. And then one final thing that was really special. Just this week, hot off the press, uh, we found out about a pastor serving in rural Nebraska. Uh, doing a great work out there, him and his wife laboring away in some very rural areas. In fact, they're trying to help some other churches get going. The only evangelical church in that area, the only church that's preaching the gospel to those people who desperately need Jesus. But they came upon a situation that they accrued some medical debt for some things that were emergency situations that came up, and uh, it appeared almost insurmountable to them. We were able to contact uh, Pastor Jim, contacted the hospital. Uh, we talked with that pastor, and we're covering all his medical debt. He don't have to worry about it no more. So, you know, a pastor that doesn't have much, and you're coming up on the holidays, and then you got the burden of thinking, how in the world am I going to pay for this? And I say those things to let you know, but also to say thank you. Um, I hope you know this. Pastor Kelly was up here earlier. This is not a place you come to and we're going to hound you about money. We're just not going to do it. Primarily because we've learned two things. Number one, if you love Jesus, you're going to give. That's what I've learned. Uh, you can't love Jesus and not become a giver. And if you can't give with a cheerful heart, the Lord doesn't want your money. All right? That's just the way it is. Second thing we've learned is that you can't outgive God. And uh, I've learned this the hard way many times. But God just says, you be faithful. We're going to study about that this, this morning, too, by the way. God says, you be faithful. God's got a pretty good track record of faithfulness, doesn't he? I don't think he's ever let any of his children down. 
And so that's the good news we have. We just be faithful to his work. But thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Because you're faithful. When these needs arise, guess what we get to do? It's fun. And I love telling you about it. So thank you for your faithfulness. Well, Revelation 8, uh, we got a long way to go and a short time to get there um, as I'm looking at the clock. Um, Revelation 8, where are we at? Well, you remember chapters 2 through 3, seven letters to the seven churches. That's the church age. All right? They are real churches, real letters written to those churches. But more broadly, they demonstrate the church age. Then we got to chapter 4, and what did we see? We saw God the Father and his glory, God the Son and his glory, and the Spirit all there. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit there in heaven. And guess who else we saw? The 24 elders representing who? The church. We're there too. What does that mean? We've been raptured out. And there's the church with God in heaven. And then we came to chapter 5. And you remember we studied that book. Uh, the book of the completion of God's purposes and plans in history. A seven-sealed book. And John begins to cry, weep. He's worried. Who's going to open that book? We long to see God complete his purposes and plans in history. And yet there's no one worthy. And you remember an angel says, stop crying. No crying in heaven. You stop your crying. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. He has come and he has overcome by his blood. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he's standing as a lamb that has been slain. He's overcome by his, uh, by his blood. He's defeated sin, Satan, and death. And then you remember, what did we get to after that? We got to chapter 6. Christ takes the book, doesn't he? Ask of me in Psalm 2. And I'll surely give you the nations as your inheritance. The very ends of the earth is your possession. You shall break them like a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Christ takes the book. And the seals begin to be opened. And the judgment of God, the wrath of God falls on the earth. And we saw the the first six seals. And then in chapter 7, God pressed pause, didn't he? And we looked at a group of people who are incredibly important During the tribulation, 144,000, and it's the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel lives again. And they finally, God pulls back the blinders. They look on him whom they have pierced. They trust in Christ, and guess what else they do? They begin to preach. And even in the tribulation, there's revival. And God is merciful, even in the tribulation. And there's a great multitude that will trust in Jesus Christ through the proclamation of these Jewish evangelists. Well, as we come to chapter 8, we pick back up in the chronology and we uh, take the, the seventh seal. Now the book will be officially opened and then out of that seventh seal, we will then begin to see seven trumpets. So let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for your word. We are so grateful you have not left us in the dark as to what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. Lord, I pray that uh, we would be um, attentive this morning to your word. That you give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. Illumine our minds to the truth of your word. And I pray if there's anybody here, Lord, that doesn't know you, they'd see the glory and the beauty of Christ. They'd see your mercy demonstrated in Jesus who died on the cross for their sins. And they'd also consider the seriousness of your wrath against sin. And I pray this morning they'd run to Jesus that they might know your salvation and your grace and not your judgment and wrath. 
Encourage all of us this morning, Lord. I pray that as we leave a little later, we'll leave changed because we met with you. We heard your voice in your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, look with me now, chapter 8, verse 1. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So this seventh seal kind of officially opens the book. And remember, this is the book of the completion of God's purposes and plans in history. And all the heavenly host have longed to see that book opened. And I think now, as the heavenly host begins to see what is written inside that book and the wrath of God to come, suddenly, in awe of what God is about to do, in awe of the book being opened and God completed his purposes, they go silent. It's really an amazing picture because up to this point, it's been incredibly noisy, hasn't it? God has been bringing judgment. There's been worship in heaven, but suddenly there's a pause. And we get to see something incredibly amazing. Look at verse 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Verse 3, another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, went up before God out of the angel's hands. It's a remarkable picture here, this angel standing before the altar of incense. As I was studying this, I couldn't help but think in Luke chapter 1, as we begin the the Christmas season officially next week, Luke chapter 1, you remember Zacharias. He is uh, ministering before the Lord. Uh, There was uh, one, one time in their lifetime, a priest would have the opportunity to go in before the Lord and offer incense. Every day in that nation, they would make sacrifice, and then a priest would go in and offer incense before the Lord. And you were decided upon by the casting of lots. And so on this occasion, you remember Zacharias, this faithful guy in the midst of a dark world. You got Zacharias who's faithful. And the lot falls to him and he goes in before the presence of God. He would have offered sacrifice at the bronze altar. He would have washed himself at the bronze laver. And then he would have gone to that altar, that, that, that altar of incense right before the Holy of Holies. And he would have changed out the coals that day. And he would have also taken Uh, an incense that was ordained in Exodus, a special incense, and he would sprinkle it over the coals, and it would put forth a scent of cinnamon, and it would rise to God, a sweet aroma before the Lord. And then that priest, he would fall on his face with his head to the ground, and you know what he'd do? He'd pray. And his prayer every day, you know what the prayer of the nation was? Come, Lord Jesus. God, keep your promise, the promise that somebody would come, your promised Messiah. They would pray for the Messiah to come, and all the nation would be gathered outside. You remember, they couldn't understand what's going on with Zacharias. He's in there a long time. But he was praying, the nation was praying, and the heart of their prayer is, remember your promise. Isn't this a powerful picture here? This angel goes before this altar and takes the incense, presumably that's given to him by God, And it's combined with the prayers of the saints. 
that you and I have a part to play and a role that is given to us in God bringing history to conclusion. That we pray and our prayers are pictured here as piling up before God. Know this today if you hear nothing else. Your prayers are significant to the heart of God. Your prayers just don't go up and disappear. God gathers them. He preserves every prayer in his name there on that altar. And then something amazing happens. Look at verse 5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. So God that takes these prayers of the saints together with his incense. And suddenly at just the right time they ignite. And God begins to pour out judgment on this world. This to me, this thought was one of the most amazing thoughts as I studied this passage. This is incredible. That somehow in some way, our prayers shape the end of history to the glory of God. I mean, all throughout this, it's pretty much just God's work, isn't it? You just see the God, God's sovereignty, God's sovereign hand. But then in this little section right here, you're reminded that you have a role to play, that we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. We hasten the coming of the Lord, that you and I, as we pray, thunder in heaven is gathering. And at just the right time, those prayers are ignited with the incense of God, and judgment falls. Then look at at verse 6. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. And the first sounded, and there there came Hail and fire mixed with blood and they were thrown to the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. And so a third of agriculture begins to burn, the the trees and the grass. As I was reading this, I couldn't help but think of uh, a few years back as we were driving to Colorado through western Kansas in the middle of the summer, there was a grass fire that hit the plains of Kansas and you just see that fire begin to consume everything. And the smoke just billows into the air. In Oklahoma, we'd have those uh, grass fires, and they'd get so severe, they'd shut down highways because the smoke would create a a situation where you had no visibility, and it was just too dangerous to drive. Can you imagine, folks, a third of this earth on fire? The smoke would be overwhelming. People would probably have difficulty breathing. It would probably change weather patterns as as occurred after the eruption of Mount St. Helens. A powerful picture. Then look at verse 8. The the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the, the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. So now something like a mountain. John's trying to describe it as best he can. Many of the commentators... Uh, conjecture that this is possibly a meteor that, that comes into the ocean. We don't know with exact certainty, but something falls into the ocean. And a third of the ocean and a sea life is, is destroyed and, and dies. It, it, down in Florida in recent years, you've seen that kind of that red tide, that weird experience where dead fish just begin to float up on the shore. Can you imagine a situation where a third of the sea life dies and begins to float up on the shore. The stench of death would be overwhelming. And it says that a third of the ships were destroyed. 
I mean, we think about the supply chain problems we're having now. You ain't seen nothing yet. Imagine a third of the ships destroyed. Commerce would, would come almost to a halt. A third of our economy would immediately tank. And then look at there. Uh, the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. So now the, the fresh water uh, turns poisonous. The word here is Wormwood. In the Old Testament, it means bitter. Here it's, it's pretty implicit that this is talking about uh, poison. Waters become poison. In the Old Testament at, at Marah, the, the bitter waters became fresh. Here you have the reverse of Marah. You have fresh water that becomes poisonous. And man can live a while without plants and vegetables. Man can live a while without the sea and the ocean and sea creatures. But man can't live very long without fresh water. And a third of the fresh water supply is cut off. It becomes poisonous. And now it says... Men die. Many men die. The picture here is so dramatic. Um, you know, today, there's a great fear about global warming. And in fact, I just read an article. I wish I would have saved it. I, I read it a few weeks ago, and this week I was like, I couldn't find it. I wish I'd have saved it. Uh, but it talked about a certain age group. It was basically the younger generation that's coming up. It said nearly half of that generation lives with a daily anxiety of global warming. Now, certainly, don't mishear me. We are to steward this earth well. Christians, knowing that the Lord has given us this earth to dwell in, we should care for it. And we haven't done a very good job. Certainly, we would agree. We haven't done a very good job. But listen to me this morning. If you are afraid of global warming, you haven't seen anything yet. When God brings his judgment, this earth, this earth will be devastated. It's all coming down. And so here we have agriculture, we have sea and the sea life, and we have fresh water. And then look at, at verse 12. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night in the same way. So now you have something of a partial eclipse. We're not sure exactly what this means, but a third of the sun is cut off, a third of the moon, a third of the stars. And we know, especially with the sun, we know this is only temporary because in Revelation 16, it says the sun burns men with its heat. But I think the picture is very dramatic that God treats the sun almost like you and I treat a thermostat. That when he wants to, he turns it down. And when he wants to, he turns it up. That the picture here is that God is sovereign over all creation. And then you see in verse 13, can it get worse? Well, it does. Verse 13, then I looked and I heard an eagle flying in mid-heaven saying with a loud voice, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is a dramatic warning in scripture to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Up to this point, the, the, uh, the disasters, the judgments that we're seeing are primarily natural judgments. But they will begin to move into the supernatural. 
And then later we'll see that they're not only supernatural, they become demonic in nature. They're going to get much worse as we move closer and closer to the return of Christ in Revelation 19. And as I was reading and studying these things, I thought, what do we do with this? I mean, this is pretty amazing stuff we're reading here that God will do in the future. How should we treat this? As as I'm always telling you, we don't just read this stuff and study it so we got knowledge in our head. The question is, how does it transform our lives today? And and I wanted to to go to Luke 17. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to the left there. Go to Luke 17. Because Jesus talks about these things. This is what I love about Scripture. Oftentimes, you can let Scripture interpret Scripture. And what we see in Revelation, the beauty of this especially when, when you're interpreting Revelation, it brings all of the Bible together and you realize that what is occurring in Revelation is consistent with what God said he would do in the prophets of the Old Testament. And then you realize it's consistent with what Jesus said he would do in the Gospels. And then you realize that in the letters of Peter and Paul and the apostles, it's consistent with what they said would happen. And so Jesus gives us some insight here and Luke 17 will begin in verse 22. The, the context of this is that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the disciples. The Pharisees have asked Jesus, where's your kingdom? If you're a king, where's your kingdom? You should have a kingdom. And Jesus says, my kingdom is an invisible kingdom. It's amidst you. It's among you in verse 20. Meaning that my kingdom now, the day that we're in today, is an invisible kingdom. It's you and I in our hearts as we submit our lives to King Jesus. That the church, and we are among you, meaning the church is in China, the church is in Japan, the church is in Germany, the church is in the United States. We're among you. And here's the church. And then pick up in verse 22. And he said to the disciples, the days will come when you'll long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you'll not see it. So he's talking about our day, the day of the church. And he says there'll come a day when the church will long to see the days of the Son of Man. That is, that is the return of Christ, the establishment of his kingdom here on earth. Is that not our heart today? Come, Lord Jesus, come. I don't know about you, but I get tired of sin. Sin in our world, sin in my own life. We see injustice. We cry out for the righteousness of God and his kingdom to be established here on earth. And so he said those days will come. Verse 23, they'll say to you, look there, look here. Do not go away and do not run after them. So there's going to be people come uh, claiming to be Christ, saying he's over here, he's over there. And Jesus says, don't believe those folks. Don't bother with them. Why? Verse 24, for just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. Meaning, when Jesus shows up, you'll know it. Nobody's going to have to tell you about it. When Christ shows up, it'll be blatant, it'll be obvious, and every eye will see him. Verse 25, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus is saying, before there's a crown, there's going to be a cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer. I'll, I'll be rejected by this generation. What is rejected by this generation? That means rejection of Israel. We talked about it last week, that their Messiah will come, they'll reject him, they'll put him on a cross, they'll reject him, and Christ will turn his attention to who? To the Gentiles, to you and me. So he says there's going to be a a suffering and rejection by this generation, and then in verse 26, and just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. 
They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It'll be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. So Christ tells us about the days leading up to the return of Christ. And he says it'll be very similar to the days that led up to Noah and the flood and Lot and the judgment that came upon Sodom. Meaning that you and I, just like Noah, just like Lot, we have a promise from God that what is coming? Judgment's coming. Christ will come and there'll be judgment upon those who reject him. Every day that Noah went out to build that ark, every nail he drove, every hammer swing that he made was a testimony to this world that a flood is coming, judgment's coming, God's going to judge the world. And there's only one means of salvation. It's this ark that I'm building. Lot, God let him in, told him through an angel, judgment's coming. Lot had information that the rest of the city didn't have, that God was bringing judgment. You and I have a promise from God that judgment is coming. But how did the people respond in Noah's day? As Noah was a constant testimony, as Peter said, he was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was telling the world, judgment is coming. There's only one means of salvation. How did they respond? Did they say, uh, we're all going to repent? What do we got to do to be saved? No. There was blatant disregard. There was eating, drinking, marrying. Buy. They were going on about their lives. Complete disregard from, for God. They said, what are we talking about? Water? Rain? We've never seen rain before. A flood? You lost your mind, Noah. You are crazy. You're a loon. Because they couldn't see it. Because they couldn't touch it. Because they couldn't prove it, they wouldn't believe it. Do you remember Lot? Lot went to his sons-in-laws and told them. And you know what it says their reaction was? They thought he was joking. Lot, fire brimstone. You crazy nut. There's no fire brimstone coming. It hasn't come thus far. It's not coming today. And Lot testified to the coming judgment of God. Does that sound familiar to our day? This stuff that we're reading in Revelation 8, can I tell you, it's pretty sensational stuff. We tell the world that judgment is coming, and for the most part, you know what the world says? Because we can't see it, because we can't touch it, because we can't prove it, we won't believe it. And they mock us, and they laugh at us, and they think it's funny. And it's the reason why, when you think about the sensational nature of the message we proclaim, you know, we read these things, I don't know about you, but I read them as a Christian who's been walking with God for a long time. And I believe them. But put yourself in the shoes of somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and you try to explain to them these things. Hey, can I tell you about Revelation 8? A third of this water is going to be destroyed. All the sea life. Something like a mountain is going to fall in the sea. Don't know how. Take them to chapter 9. Tell them about the locusts that sting them. They'll, they'll really like that. I mean, try it out on your waitress today at lunch. How about this stuff? Let me tell you about the judgment of God. But even more broadly, think of the gospel. Do you realize we're telling people that God left heaven and put on flesh? That's what we're telling them this Christmas. 
that God loves you so much, he left the glory of heaven, a triune God, left the glory of heaven, put on the filth of humanity, lived a perfect and sinless life, never sinned, always said no to sin, yes to God, died on a cross for your sins, was placed in a tomb, he rose on the third day, and he has ascended to the Father, and one day he's coming back, he's going to judge you. And the world looks like a, looks at us like we've gone nuts. Which is all the more reason when you think about Noah as a preacher of righteousness, it's all the more reason, folks, that we as the church, you know what we're intended to be? We're intended to be a ministry to our world. That the world is able to look at this group of people who gather in this building underneath a cross and they should see our truth, they should see our purity, they should see our holiness, they should be able to look at our lives and it lends credibility to the message that we proclaim. That I might not agree with everything that guy says, but I can't disagree with his life. He's a better man, got a better marriage and a better family. And so we go out to a lost and dying world. They, they mock us. They laugh at us for the most part. Until what? Until with Noah and Lot, until Noah got on board that ark and rain started to fall, right? And until Sodom, or until Lot left Sodom and fire and brimstone began. And note there too, this reason number whatever, why I'm a pre-tribulation rapture. Jesus says, the days leading up will be just like the days of Noah and Lot. And what did God do in both of those instances before his judgment came? He took Noah and he got him on the ark of salvation. And he took Lot and he pulled him out of Sodom and, and fire fell from heaven. So God removes his people. We see it here in the days of Noah and Lot. Then look with me, verse 31. On that day, the one who is on the housetop, and it's interesting here, make note of this. That at this point, Jesus starts speaking in the third person. So up to this point, he's been speaking to the Pharisees and the apostles. And now he starts speaking of the one. We are talking about, right here in verse 31, we're talking about people who live in the midst of the tribulation. So these are people living on earth post-rapture in the midst of the tribulation. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. What he's saying there is when the judgment of God in the midst of the tribulation begins, there will be an inclination of people to try to save their stuff and save their lives. And Jesus is saying, essentially, don't try to save your life and your stuff by the renunciation of Christ and taking the mark of the beast. No, he says, you run. Run to who? Run to Jesus. To those who find themselves in this day, don't try to save yourself by the renunciation of Christ and taking that mark. You run to Jesus. And then look what it says, verse 32, remember Lot's wife. You remember Lot's wife? She was running with Lot, but her heart was still in Sodom. And she looked back, and it did not end well for her. He's saying, if you find yourself, don't look back. You run to Jesus. Then look at verse 33. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. He's saying there, it's better to lose your earthly life and your stuff and be saved from the wrath to come than to save your life and save your stuff and face the wrath of the Lamb. That's the picture here. Better to be uh, drawn and quartered 
than to renounce Christ and face his wrath. Better to be beheaded than to face the wrath of the Lamb. We just read this in chapter 6. There's coming a day when men will cry out for mountains to fall on them because they think that would be better than facing the wrath of the Lamb. So if you're trying to save your life, just know you might save your life, but you're going to face the wrath of the Lamb. But you lose your life. You cling to Christ and you die. You'll gain eternal life. Then look at verse 34. I tell you, on that night, there'll be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. There'll be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Now this is often used as a picture of the rapture. That is not a good interpretation. This is post-rapture. The rapture has already occurred. These are people who are in the midst of the tribulation. And there's two people in, in a bed, grinding at a wheel. And the picture here is that they look identical from a world's perspective. But God knows which one is his. Good reminder to you today, you can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool Jesus. And there's only two people who know whether or not you truly know him. It's you and God. And the picture here is when it says one is taken, it's taken unto judgment. They're taken unto judgment, and the rest are saved and left, and they live on into the millennial kingdom. So the picture is, one's taken unto judgment, one's left. And then look at the very end, verse 37, and answering, they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. A pretty graphic picture here. They say, taken, if they're taken in judgment, taken to where? And Jesus says, just look for the birds. Look for the vultures. If you see vultures circling overhead, what does it mean? Somebody died. Something died. Do you know what this is a picture of? In Revelation 19, when Christ returns, all the armies of the world assembled against Christ, he's going to show up, the word of his mouth, they're gone. And they're, they, they lay there in the valley of Armageddon, and an angel cries out to the birds of the air, hey, dinner served, come feast on those who are rebels against God. That's a pretty graphic picture, isn't it? Why would God do this? Why would he give us these pictures like he does in Revelation 8? Because there's going to come days when we begin to think, maybe he's not coming. He hadn't come. Maybe he's not coming. And we see evil winning. We see it in our world today, don't we? Boy, it looks like evil's winning. A lot of good people dying. God, what are you doing? Are you really coming back? And he writes these things to let us know. You can write it down and take it to the bank. I'm coming. Trust in me. In fact, looking. We just got a couple of minutes here, but look in 18. You think, we don't have time. Don't panic. Chiefs, don't play till three, all right? <laughs> Chapter 18, now he was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. That's us. We live between the cross and the crown. He says, keep praying and don't lose heart. That's us. We're clinging to Jesus. We keep praying we keep preaching. We will not back down. Verse 2, say, he's going to tell them a parable. In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. So you got a judge that uh, doesn't, doesn't abide by the law and doesn't care about people. you got a bad politician. They had them back then. I know we'd never have anybody like that today, but they had them back then. Verse 3, there was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. That widow is us, the church. 
and we are viewed by this world as weak, irrelevant, and insignificant. That's how we're viewed. Weak, irrelevant, insignificant. And injustice is done to us, just like was done to this widow. And our only appeal is to who? The judge. We don't take up arms. We appeal to the judge. We cry out to God. Verse 4, for a while he was unwilling. That's where we're at today. We say, God bring justice. Christ come. And for a little while he's unwilling. But as Peter says, we don't count slowness as some count slowness. God is patient, desiring none should perish. Why is he unwilling at this moment? Because there's more he's bringing in. But what does she do? But afterwards, she said to, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God or, nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I'll give her legal protection otherwise by continually coming. She'll wear me out. He says, I'm getting tired of dealing with this lady. She gives me no rest. That's how we're to be in prayer. And a lot of times people say, uh, I'm going to pray, leave it at the feet of God, and just let it alone. Where would you find that in Scripture? You don't find it anywhere. You know the kind of prayer that God loves is when you give him no rest. When you wear God out with your prayers. He says, oh, there's that chat again. Good grief, he's wearing me out. We just keep going back to him. And this evil judge, he doesn't care about the law and he doesn't care about people, but because this woman keeps nagging him, he gives her justice. And what does Jesus say? And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? Listen, if that lousy, good-for-nothing judge will bring justice for a woman who won't let him go, how much more will a righteous God who loves us and saved us bring justice when we continue to cry out for him? He's saying, you can know it's true. I will bring justice. It may not come in your time, but I'll bring it. And look at verse 8. It ends with a question. I tell you that he will uh, bring about justice for them quickly, suddenly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I will bring justice. I am faithful. That's what God's saying. I said it earlier. God's got a pretty good track record of faithfulness. When he says it, you can write it down and take it to the bank. God has said over and over again, judgment is coming. The question has never been God's faithfulness. You know what the question is? Will we be faithful? When he returns, will we be faithful? The question is, in our day, will we be praying and preaching? Folks, if we believe this stuff is true, this is what hits me every time. If we really believe that this is what's coming, God help us if we keep our mouth shut around people that we love dearly and we don't tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. Regardless of the cost. This is our day. Who knows but that God wouldn't return tomorrow or next week. I said it once, I'll say it again. Thanksgiving. This week, you're going to be around family members and friends. And I bet almost every one of you know somebody who doesn't know Jesus. And you might have shared with them 500 times, don't you give up. 
you keep at it. You keep praying as kindly, with as much love as you can. You tell them about Jesus. And for those of you that are here or watching online that don't know Jesus today, you know what we're learning in Revelation? God's far more holy than you thought he was. Oh, he's holy. And he's loving. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins to take the wrath that's directed at you. Jesus took it on his shoulders. In your place, he absorbed the full cup of God's wrath so that now through faith in him, you could be covered in the righteousness of Christ. But know this today. If you will not trust in Christ, if you will not run to Christ, if you'll not repent of your sins and trust in Jesus, you will face the wrath of God. You can either get underneath Jesus and get on board the ark of his salvation and live through the other side. Or you'll face his wrath on your own. And it's not a pretty picture. Do we have a hymn this morning? I looked for judgment, judgment, judgment. Oh, sing of his judgment. It's hard to find hymns on the, the trumpets of God's judgment. Um, so I thought we had one more about heaven. Uh, there was one we didn't get in last week. But uh, written, let me make sure I got my notes here correctly. See, by a young youth minister, James Black. James Black was a youth minister, and he was at a youth meeting, a gathering of students, and he was calling roll. And there was a little girl. Um, pretty powerful story. He cared deeply about her. He knew that her dad was an alcoholic. And uh, they had the meeting, and he was deeply worried because on that day when Roll was called, she wasn't there. And immediately in his mind, he said, Oh, God, when your Roll is called up yonder, I pray she'll be there. You got anybody in your life today that you pray when that Roll is called, they'll be there? You today, do you know in your life today when that role is called, you'll be there? Well, he ended up putting those words to a pretty good hymn. We're going to sing it together. Pastor Bill, there he is, always ready to go. I'm going to read the first two. You guys know these verses, and then we're going to sing the last together. It says, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the saints of earth shall gather over on the other shore. And the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. On that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise. got a be in your life today that you can't wait to see in glory it'll happen I thought this week about my grandfather goodness I miss him one day when that role is called up yonder we'll be there this last verse, 
reminds us of our job today. I'm going to read it, then we're going to sing it. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. And when all of life is over and our work on earth is done and the role is called up yonder, we'll be there. Let's stand. We can't sit and sing this. Let us labor for the master from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. And when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called a yonder, I'll be there. When the roll is called a yonder, when the roll is called a Father, we are so grateful today for the salvation that you have provided for us through Jesus. Lord, I pray so desperately for anybody here or watching online that doesn't know you, never placed their faith in Christ. God, draw them to yourself just as you drew us. Peel back the blinders from their eyes so that they can see the depth of their sin and the beauty of Christ. And I pray that you would draw them, draw them unto yourself. God, for those of us that do know you, till that day when the role is called up yonder, I pray that we would be faithful. We would labor for the master until the, the dawn, till the setting sun. We love you and we praise you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond this morning in whatever way God might be leading on your heart. Maybe you have questions about salvation, how you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. We'll have pastors here at the front. Love to talk with you and pray with you about Jesus. Maybe you'd just like to unite with our church family, become a member here at Lenexa Baptist Church. This is your time. Know this morning you will never regret obeying Jesus. So you respond as we sing.